The Art of Engineering. Engineers talking about their process, principles, and personal stories. Presented by Custom Powder Systems, the containment company. On today's show. And until we all ended up going home due to um, the lockdown, we weren't really good at it. And now I'm working with colleagues in Canada, California, uh, in Europe, and, and really kind of tear all those boundaries down that we kind of imposed upon ourselves. Now from the Custom Powder Systems Headquarters, your host, Denise McIntosh. So welcome everyone to the Art of Engineering podcast. And today we have Rochelle Ritz, who is Manager of Process Engineering of Integrated Project Services in Overland Park, Kansas. So welcome, Rochelle. Hello. Nice to be here. So I've noticed that some of your career has led to some of the same places that we've done business with, uh, the Paul Mueller Company and the Nalco company, and I believe I saw Beringer Ingelheim, which we've all, we've provided equipment and shared projects with. So um, I'm always curious, Rochelle, how did you get into engineering? Well, it's a, it's a family thing, actually. I don't think I knew any better. My grandfather was a civil engineer with the Army Corps of Engineers. And um, when my mother was young, they uh, traveled and lived near several dams. And his um, name is on the wall at several of those dams as one of the engineers that designed and and helped to build those. So his son, then my uncle, um, is a metallurgical engineer. He retired from Shell Oil um, recently. And then um, my older brother was an aerospace engineer my sister, um, older sister, is a mechanical, and they both said that chemical engineering was the hardest one on campus at Rolla, so I had to show them that I could do that one. <laughs> so Good for you. Sibling rivalry. It was, really, yes. <laughs> Tell me about the career path and what's how you've arrived at where you are today. So um, my career path was very much like a zigzag and a loop-de-loop. There was no straight anything. Um But I, early in my career, I wanted to be close to um, my father in Springfield and Paul Mueller Company offered me a really great place to learn and grow. Um, It also took me to very fun places, uh, different clients all over the country and throughout the world that were buying soul culture equipment at the time. Um, And then in 2008, the economy started to kind of begin to collapse, and I thought it would be a good time to go to Beringer Ingelheim up in St. Joe, and I helped them with a very large expansion to their soil culture and fermentation capabilities there. And then um, my husband and I decided kind of to work on our family, and so we moved to the Houston area. Um, I worked at Nalco um, Echo Lab there uh, for... It wasn't for very long, and then um, we had uh, our first baby, so that was baby number two for me, and then I took some time off, and then I had twins a year later, so then I took some more time off, and then we moved back to the Kansas City area, and I was just really lucky to find IPS and really enjoying growing my kids there along with my kids at home, and so it's just been not a very strange career trajectory, but probably normal for moms. Yes. 
So tell us what you do with IPS. So I manage the process engineering team at the, the office in Overland Park, Kansas, which is our Midwest office. And that team is focused on the early design process for um, greenfield and brownfield expansions of um, different facilities. So, you know, we've worked on uh, Elanco in Fort Dodge, Iowa, um, providing them some support and assistance. Uh, we work for um, different big names in the industry, just providing them additional engineering and design support. And my main focus is growing my team and teaching my new recent graduates how to just behave and, and how to do the technical work and how to handle stress and, and just how to weave their way through the world. I saw an article that I believe was in Kansas City about how COVID has impacted your family care. So can you describe how COVID has impacted your family life and your work life? You know, we, we, my best friend from college lost her father a couple weeks ago in Des Moines, Iowa to COVID. Um, so, so that's been kind of rough to, you know, support her through that. But um, from a, from a childcare perspective, we generally use au pairs. So it's a cultural exchange program and the au pair comes from, um, we've had one from Colombia and we're anticipating one from Brazil um, they actually live with us, so um, it allows us quite a bit of freedom to be able to, you know, just take walks in the evening and have a date night. Um, and, and the reason that we use that is because um, our Charlie, who is five years old, one of our identical twins of four children, he has type 1 diabetes. So we, we can't use daycares because most of them don't have nurses on staff. And we can't really do before or after school programs do the same reason. So in order for him to have proper care, we, we use that service to um, provide somebody that can, you know, better accommodate his needs because they are sometimes acute if his blood sugar drops very low. So J1 visas, which is the visa that the au pairs use, were banned for the remainder of the year, um, I believe in an effort to try to provide more people in the United States with work. But what we're up against is now that we're running out of friends and neighbors, college students for um, child care, we have no child care after the end of next week, unless we get in or some other means. And we've looked for nannies. Uh, we've looked at daycares. No one can take Charlie. So I'm not sure um, what I'm going to do in a couple of weeks. And, and I am, Design. I'm the lead process engineer on the Johnson and Johnson um, CMO that is going to be filling, formulating, and filling the COVID vaccine for Johnson and Johnson. So, not only am I working on the COVID vaccine, you know, we've been personally impacted, but now we have no childcare services due to the COVID um, pandemic. So it's been interesting. Wow. So when you said, "What's sleep?" I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so have you seen any, and, and good luck in your search, because that is uh, not something I've experienced for a lot of years, but it's, yes, it's, it's stressful to find the right people and the right, and particularly at this point in our world. Yes. So any 
any other challenges of what you've seen experienced with coworkers um, or or any rewards? Uh, yeah, you know we've we've had a lot of rewarding experiences. Um, we have had a push in the last several years to kind of uh, work in a a boundaryless office, meaning, you know, we have offices all over the country and all over the world and really do more work share amongst those offices. And and until we all ended up going home due to um, the lockdown, we weren't really good at it. And now I'm working with colleagues in Canada, California. Um, I'm working with colleagues uh, in Europe, and it's, it's really become quite seamless uh, to have Teams meetings and Zoom and, and really kind of tear all those boundaries down that we kind of imposed upon ourselves. So that's been one rewarding aspect of all of this. I really think it's innovating how we work. Um, and then a reward just for, for my family, since my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in November of 2019, um, the amount of care he's needed, I honestly don't think I would have been able to continue working full-time at the capacity I am had we not gone home, just because of, uh, we're really not sleeping a lot. You know, we're up in the evening two and three times overnight to check blood sugars and make corrections and, and just help him um, stay healthy. So it's been a blessing on, yes. on many fronts. I think that the opportunity that we've had with family members like that has has been a reward and like you said about communication within your with your colleagues we've noticed that too because we're now well we started you're probably familiar with the great game of business um but when this whole pandemic set in we just we just launched it again and said we're going to do this because we need everybody's eyes on what we're doing every day so we've done a teams meeting literally uh four days a week with a, a, a fairly substantial group of us and then on monday it's everybody so we've had more communication even within our small group than we've ever had before and maybe it was forced, but maybe we really needed to be doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because I I found that my communication interoffice and then with my more entry level people that work for me improved, but I also found that my communication with my more senior folks it 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 actually went the opposite direction. So um, I guess maybe it was kind of a trust thing that. Um, I, we just weren't touching base as much, me and my senior guys. So we've had to re-implement now where we touch base just exclusively um, once a week to just make sure that we're not missing anything. So it's been interesting. Uh, my husband and I were driving by a new uh, building as we were coming to the office today. And I said, I wonder if that is a, a business building? because I wonder if you'd change your mind at this point about office space. Yes, I, I do think that our company um, was run by a lot of folks that were kind of 
uh, born in the business world in the 1980s where you need to be at your desk working at 8 a.m. and you take an hour lunch and you don't leave before five. And if you're not doing those things, you can't be doing a good job. And they've really changed their mind and outlook on all of those things. And I, I do see that the level of flexibility in our office space and in our attitudes going forward has really been dramatically changed because people that weren't productive before the pandemic at work are still not going to be productive at home, but people that were productive at work will still be productive at home. It's not going to change the inherent way a person is. So, well, and we've even had, you know, there are some of us who miss the office interaction and all of that. And then there are some of us who I, I spent 30 years in the field as a salesperson. And so I, I didn't have an office. I mean, my office was my car or the plane or whatever. So for me to be able to go home and work, it's like, wow, I, I love this because I can literally work anywhere and, and get done what I need to get done. So how are you dealing with those folks who are missing the the interaction or do you have any of them well so um i kind of have a spectrum there's always a spectrum so i have you know a couple of my introvert engineers that are happy as clams just being left alone in their apartment or home and just um being assigned work and not having to interact it's kind of nice for them um and then i have folks that especially my my younger staff that um, lives alone, um, I can kind of see there's some loneliness setting in there. And I'm really trying to keep my eyes out for those folks. And, you know, I'm encouraging them to get pets and, and take days off, even if it's just to, you know, go on a hike, or just to to take their mind off things. So I, I do have a spectrum of folks. And then for me, I feel like I'm split. Like at first, I was really loving being at home all the time. And now I feel like I need maybe a 50-50 split. So I can have interaction and see people because I'm very social, but I need home time as well to, you know, be able to be at home and supporting of my kids and, and to get some work done as well. I saw a, uh, I think it was a survey that was done asking people, you know, what, what it is like to work at home. And I was surprised because I'm not one of them, but 18% said loneliness was, was a big deal. Yeah, it, it's true though. I mean, I, I really like to be around people and, and I, you know, when I'm in the office, if somebody's struggling with something, it's much more apparent. I have to like seek it out now and it's a more difficult to know if somebody needs my support. Right, right. Do you, are you noticing um, that what's happened with COVID and having to deal with school and children and work and all of this is um, impacting your, your women colleagues more than men? Or is that just a, a silly question? Like, of course it is. I think that... In a lot of ways, it's, it's, a, it's kind of an emotional labor thing. It's not that it's impacting them maybe workload-wise, but I think that women tend to feel more responsible for everyone 
feeling at ease and being taken care of. And I think that's really taxing folks. I have um, several colleagues that are women that are um, in my position, managers and directors, and, you know, they're, they're clearly stressed. They have, you know, parents that are elderly now that they're concerned about. They have children that are in school and they're trying to teach And, you know, we still, every night, you got to feed the kids dinner, which is a lot to ask of a person. So we have, we've got a lot of things pulling us many different directions. And, you know, my husband and I have a really good split of of things going on. um, And we've kind of made a focus instead of arguing about who's doing what, we've assigned the kids a lot of chores to do to help out. But we've also subcontracted things like lawn mowing um, house cleaning. If we can have someone else do it for us, then we are trying to do that because we just can't keep up with it all. Oh, wise, wise move. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, it's interesting you say that because it's almost like looking at that from the same perspective that a company looks at things is that what are we good at doing? Yeah. And what, what should we be doing with our time versus what are we what could someone else do better? Yes. If I'm getting five hours of sleep a night, lawn mowing should not be putting stress on me. No, no. <laughs> totally agree. So you said that you were uh, leading a um, work-life discussions at IPS. Can you, can you tell us about that? So we have not kicked that off yet, but it initially I just, I thought, you know, if I'm, I'm seeing my colleagues that are fresh out of college, they're lonely, if they're living alone. I'm seeing, you know, um, folks my age that have children that are trying to teach their kids homeschool and work. I, you know, they're making big decisions on whether to go virtual school or physically go back to school. And, you know, no matter what the decision they make, someone will judge them and I'm just seeing so many different aspects and so many different stories out there that um, we're going to be kicking off just a town hall style um, chat to just talk through some of the struggles folks are having because, you know, who knows, maybe someone in the California office has this, is in a similar place in life as someone in our Massachusetts office and, and they can make a connection. Um, one of our lead uh, mechanical folks in the uh, Pennsylvania office, his wife and two of his grown children now all have type one diabetes. And it was a breath of fresh air to talk to him to see that, you know, there's an end in sight to this, we're going to get better, it's not going to be so difficult as as we go. And just knowing that he's been through it, and the kids are grown and through college, it's been nice to see that. So we're just making connections and, and hoping to talk through um, the different problems that, that folks are facing and give them a little bit of support. So the other things that were in this, so this, this survey that I saw yesterday was from my favorite economist who's in Kansas City, by the way, his name is Chris Keel. Um, his, uh, the survey that he found was that what's your biggest struggle with working remotely? So 20% of the people said collaboration and communication, 20% said loneliness, yeah. and 18% said not being able to unplug, 
which you which you kind of addressed with those young people who live alone and probably need to go find something to do. I, I, and yes, I, I kind of, um, I cross the boundary of manager slash mom sometimes. And I, I need to be careful. You know, I can't suggest, Hey, maybe you should go on a date. <laughs> Cause I thought that, but um, maybe you should get a pet. Have you thought of yoga? But, but I can tell that folks that don't have established hobbies um, that maybe don't have um, like a church family that they go to, maybe their parents they're not as close with. Um, that that age group just right out of college are still kind of trying to find themselves. I feel like even though parents are really struggling in places right now, I honestly, my heart goes out to the the folks that have just recently graduated. This is a really hard time to establish yourself find, make new friends, figure out hobbies, ways to unwind. You know, you can no longer play video games till midnight and wake up at eight and be on point in a meeting, you know, those basic life things that they're working out in such a strange time. It's, it's hard for them. It is hard for them. Yes. Well, I will forward this to you because you might find it interesting in, in talking with your colleagues about the things they discovered in this. That we're all discovering, really. Yeah, I I think we're going to see um, a lot of, of things that we didn't know were there. I, I know the pandemic is um, showing me a lot of my friends uh, that I went to high school and college with are anti-vaxxers. It's like, how did I not know this? So I'm, I've been trying to post things on, on Facebook and on social media to educate and to try to maybe take some of the fear and apprehension out of those things. And I just, it's interesting, the things I didn't know about people, this is kind of bringing to the surface. Well, it, yes. And, you know, we've, my husband and I are both over 65. And so we've been trying to be incredibly careful. Um, but you're right. I've been surprised at the number of people who are anti-vaxxers, even the, some of them that are our age, which really surprised me. Um, but I'm also reading that perhaps those of us who've been taking that flu vaccine all along may have some inherent immunity just because of the way the vaccines are developed every year to try to um, catch the array of viruses that are out there. Yes. And I, I also the pneumonia vaccine, I, I have asthma. That vaccine in particular has almost changed my uh, entire uh, prognosis. I would get bronchitis for two or three months every winter. Since I've gotten the uh, pneumonia vaccine, I have not had anything once I get a cold it generally just goes away now that pneumonia vaccine has really changed my my winter months to be so much better wow it's been a miracle really so I'm I'm really uh, trying to just help inform folks and and I think you know when there's a lot of fear and unknowns in the world people kind of lean on what's maybe more comfortable instead of doing research and thinking things through. Yes. So, uh, you know, that's the one thing that I've noticed about the pharmaceutical 
industry and the people within ISPE who are sharing and collaborating. And it's just so good to see um, because there are so many unknowns and we're just all trying to figure this out. Yeah. And I, and I think that when, you know, um, a nationally recognized doctor Fauci or Burks or those folks are saying, Hey, take your vaccine. I don't know if it really, people really respect that, but if it's a member of the community that can help share that information to not be afraid and educate and help, I think that speaks a lot more to, to just the local communities than a national person. Well, yeah, it is interesting you say that Rochelle, because I had a friend from Chicago that I've known for several years who is actually a life coach. And about mid April, he sent me a text and said, who should I be listening to? Uh huh. Cause there's a lot of different things out there that are sending information out. Right. Wrong. Yeah. Different. <laughs> so good for those of us who have access to information to, to continue to share it. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's our responsibility to not let misinformation go as easy and convenient as it can be just to scroll past. It's like, Hey, you know, you don't have to be mean about it, but, but you can, you know, very politely say, Hey, you know, this post that you posted is not accurate. You know, this happened in, um, you know, a communist country in the 1960s and it's not what pharmaceuticals are in the United States anymore. This isn't a good example of what, what a pharmaceutical product can do to our bodies anymore. It's, it's, it's not. And, and I think it's irresponsible for those of us in the know to just let it go anymore. Um, I have several friends who are physicians and they are feeling the heat as well. So it's a lot to take in and a lot of responsibility on a lot of folks that I don't think they were expecting. (laughs) Right. Well, Rochelle, thank you so much for taking this time with us today given that you don't have a lot of sleep and you have a lot of responsibility not only with your family but with your colleagues just appreciate the time and we hope to share these with the women in pharma group so that we can let others know the art of engineering engineers talking the about their process yeah, principles and personal stories on the next episode everything i have into well, Rochelle, knowing the people i so work with i really appreciate their potential and their talk, strengths man. and seeing if i could put a spotlight on that and make them blossom and how satisfying that was that's next time on the art of engineering presented by custom powder systems the containment company custom-powder.com